Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. We continue to draw near. As, as Christ is drawing near to us this Advent coming on Christmas morning, we wonder through this sermon series, what does it mean to draw near this Advent? Last week, Nate challenged us to draw near to the story, to be willing to wait for that. We read from the peaceable kingdom, a kingdom that can be defined by the four words that hang from our Advent, Advent wreath. Four words that we use when we light the candles each week. Hope, peace, joy, love. In whatever order we read them or light them, those four words are what we are looking forward to in the coming of Jesus. Hope in a world that is often marked by despair. Peace in a world where there is far too much violence. Joy in a world where sadness feels like it has taken root, and love in a world where hate far too easily fills the air. Yet the coming of a baby in Bethlehem offers us glimpses of a radically different future, a radically different way to live. And so we continue to draw near to this story, and we continue to be patient, because all of those wonderful words, hope, peace, joy, love, all of those ideas, they are coming, they are here, they may not be here fully, but we wait in this Advent once more, and we consider our role, our part, our purpose in God's story, a story that is not done yet. As we try, as we wait, let us again draw near to our purpose. I, I can remember a time when I had to wait. I was a junior in high school, I was in the 11th grade. I was a proud member of the Heights High Instrumental Music Department. And I actually probably spent more time in the band room than in any other part of the school building. I actually had a locker in the band room and a regular locker that every student had. I think I remember the combination to my band room locker. I couldn't even tell you what hall or floor my real locker was on. But throughout my high school music career, I played in several different ensembles. And at least at one point, I was in marching band, the jazz lab band, pep band, jazz band, concert band, symphonic winds, brass choir, a wind quintet. And so in some of these groups, I played the trumpet. And in, in some of these groups, I played the French horn. In the symphony, highest honor, in the symphony, I played the French horn. On this particular fall day, we had to wait. The symphony was playing during school periods for other students. I have no idea why. I don't know how exactly it worked, but we played the same couple pieces. We were gonna play them four times in a row for different students that came in. And again, I don't exactly know how it worked, but I do remember to what felt like me, we had to wait for an eternity and just sit there for the next group of students to file in, take their seats, and then we were gonna play. It was probably half an hour, <laughs> maybe only 20 minutes, but I got bored. 
So while we were waiting, Ethan, my friend, tried to play my French horn, and I played his trumpet a little bit, because I played trumpet. Ethan was actually kind of getting the hang of playing the French horn. He is a much better musician than I am, and he didn't sound too bad. I, I was playing the trumpet part, and I could kind of hack my way through the part. So while we were waiting for the performance number three, after number two, we decided we were going to trade instruments. <laughs> we were going to trade parts. And not just while we were waiting for the performance to begin. I do wonder what Jeffrey and Lisa, who are looking at me now, would think. <laughs> that, was a, that was a harsh reaction. If, if a soprano were to try to sing the alto line and vice versa, or if the bells just decided to trade who was going to ring which one. They're giving me pretty strong looks. I did not, however, have to wonder for very long how our conductor, Miss Dane, would feel. As we were about a quarter way through, her watchful and expressive eyes made its way to the brass section as she conducted and cued us as an ensemble. And let me tell you, if a glare could kill you, you would not know me. She was not impressed. In fact, she was furious, and you could tell immediately. Those were not our parts that we were playing. Even if we sounded okay, and I maintain we sounded okay. Those were not even our instruments. Miss Dane, like the consummate professional she was, she continued to conduct. She did not miss a beat. And I would be surprised if anyone in the audience noticed what would happen. I think a lot of the, our fellow bandmates did. As we finished up the performance, Mrs. Dane's expressive eyes immediately signaled for us to follow her as she briskly exited stage right and motioned for us to follow. And we did. With our tails between our legs, we went back to the band room, and we were told to wait once again. And so we sat there, or stood there, Quietly, neither of us really saying much, just imagining what consequences might be in store. We were listening through the hallway. You could actually hear the auditorium from the band room if the doors were open. And as we listened to the symphony play without us one final time that day, we waited. One of the things that I learned about playing music in high school, and I would imagine many, any musical group, is that you have your part to play. And recognizing together the sound of a vast symphony that had about 100 students in it sounds a little bit better when you're playing the right parts. John the Baptist plays a part in our story, in the story of God, and he's clear on what his part is. He is not the Messiah, but he comes before. His job is to get us ready. He knows what his purpose is. And he did so, getting us ready, by proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John actually makes an appearance in all four Gospels, and all the accounts give us a slightly different emphasis and view on him. They all help us to paint an image. And the purpose of John is absolutely the one who comes before the one who gets the region ready, the one who actually will end up baptizing Jesus, 
the one who prepares us for the way. His part is not the same as Jesus, although it is certainly still necessary. He does not try to assume the role of Messiah. He doesn't try to assume, assume the role of apostle or even disciple. His is the role of the prophet in the wilderness and of the baptizer of Jesus. John the Baptist, as I told the kids, shows up every Advent, preaching repentance, baptizing, crying out in the wilderness. And he always plays that same part, that same role. He sticks true to his purpose. It actually is a little bit of a weird narrative time jump that we do every Advent. John's public ministry takes place right before his cousin Jesus' ministry. There's even a little overlap. John is active while Jesus is still active as well. It clearly takes place after the birth of Jesus. Yet as we go through the church calendar, we read and talk about John the Baptist before the birthday celebration, even though he's working after the birth. And I believe we do this for a couple of reasons. First, because as we prepare for the birth of a Savior, we prepare for the fullness of Jesus' ministry, not just a baby in the manger, but everything that that baby will come to represent. John's preparation, John's ministry in the wilderness area around the Jordan River, and John's baptizing of Jesus provides a launch point for the fullness of Jesus' ministry. Christmas Day provides us not just an opportunity to celebrate the birth of a child, but it is a recognition and a launching of the full force of that ministry, that ministry that we continue here in this church to this day. The clear call from John to prepare is such a fitting message for Advent because this is a season of preparation. And, and secondly, I think we talk about this camel hair wearing, locust and honey eating, wilderness living prophet because he is such a character. And he plays such an important part in the Gospels. And he also makes us critically examine our purpose. He gets us to think about our part in that story. What character are we? Because we know who John is so clearly. He gets us ready, and he knows his part, his purpose. And that gives us an opportunity to think and examine what our purpose might be. When I was playing trumpet on that fateful day, that was not my purpose. That was not my part. I had, was not ready. I had not practiced. I had lost sight of what I should be doing. My part was to play the French horn. I actually had practiced. I was both not ready and I was not in line with the piece that they wanted. As I waited in that band room hallway, I decided to read the names of the alums who have received the Distinguished Musician Award, seeing if I knew any, seeing if some of them were my brother's friends. They're engraved on various plaques along the walls, trying to distract myself from the coming storm because I was waiting, and I wanted a distraction. Whether you are waiting for something wonderful, like a sweet baby Jesus, or you're waiting for something a little less sweet, maybe something terrifying, like the doctor to get back to you from the scan, 
waiting is never easy, so we look for distractions. And I found one where I could read names. Now, thankfully for me, Miss Dane was forgiving. She gave us a second chance. She gave us one more chance. One chance to make amends, to reorient our behavior, and, well, to get in line, because we had stepped so far out. Or she was going to kick us out of the symphony. She had actually filled out the drop sheets. She hadn't signed them, but she had filled them out, put put them on her desk, said, don't mess up again. Neither of us did. We both actually repented, and we eventually, I ended up with my name on the Distinguished Musician wall, and it is there today. Ethan actually got in the Music Hall of Fame. Like I said, he's a much better musician than I was. (laughs) Um, So his wasn't on the Distinguished Alumni. His was in the Hall of Fame. Next level up. But we both repented. We turned it around from that misstep. That breaking of trust that we perpetrated both against Ms. Dane, but against the whole symphony as well. We were able to get back on track. And we kept it there, and thankfully, from that point on, we always had the right instruments at future concerts. (laughs) Advent is a time of waiting, of preparing, of getting on the right track. Getting on the right track or, or repenting, possibly. Repenting is this biblical word that we say all the time. It's all about recognizing when we have strayed, when we have gotten off track, when we have sinned, and it is to work on correcting that behavior, correcting our mindsets, realigning them with what God wants for our life. And thankfully, God doesn't just give us one more chance. God gives us continual over and over again, chances to reorient our hearts, to reorient our lives. God gives us the opportunity to listen to the call from that voice in the wilderness, to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare it in our hearts, to prepare it in our lives, to prepare it in our church. We can do that by turning our hearts, turning our minds, and aligning with God's vision for our lives. A vision of hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, it may not be easy to us exactly how and when we need to reorient today. Mrs. Dane's furious eyes may not be looking down upon you. But each of us can work to reorient our lives towards God's call. Because God has a part in God's story for you. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I do know that each and every one of you out there has a part in that story. And it could be so many things. So as we've been given this opportunity to reorient, to think, to think of your purpose, to get in line with God, Think about what your part in the story is. It could be in the choir or on the AV team. Baking cookies, it could be putting away chairs, volunteering at the food bank, advocating for justice, visiting the sick or imprisoned. Painting, serving food. It could be taking one of those ornaments back there off that tree for stocking Santa's shop 
and helping out our friends at Friendship House. Maybe your part is to serve on session or deacons or search committees, or maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. I'm here to tell you that you have a part to play. Maybe your part is to rest and to let others love you, or to offer wisdom, or simply to offer the kindness of a smile and a prayer for those in need. Even if you feel that your part may be small, remember the words of Konstantin Stanislavski. I don't know if I said that right. But remember, there are no small parts, only small actors. And you do have a part to play. I can tell you that. You have a purpose. And Advent upon Advent, year after year, John the Baptist calls us both to repent, to turn our hearts, to align our purpose with God's vision. So that is my challenge to you. My challenge to you this season is to think about your purpose. Think about what you do. Think about how you can draw near to that purpose when you draw near to God's vision for your life, for our lives, for the world. And if you're struggling to find it, to identify it, listen to the words of the prophet. Realign our hearts. Realign your hearts. Prepare the way. Set your hearts towards a posture of hope, peace, joy, and remember to be consistently led by love, the love of God that is born in flesh in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, I am sure you will find your purpose, and we may be a part so that all people will know the salvation of the Lord. Amen.